The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name. Amen. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow. He can save you from the might of all your sin This is the fight in which He stands In perfect victory While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Shelter from the coming storm While you have breath 
You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. The most important sermon that Jesus gave, while everything he said was of vital import, the most complete statement comes in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes a statement that is shocking to us. But we have lived so long with these passages of Scripture that they have taken on their own meaning, the meaning of the culture, not the meaning that Jesus was trying to impart to us. So let's look carefully at chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road, and that leads to life, and only a few find it. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to those men, women, and children who are choosing to follow him. Crowds. Now, how this flips us upside down is that this is not a message to the unbelieving. It's not a message to the world. This is a message directed to, spoken to, believers. People who say they follow Jesus. There are two roads, Jesus said. There is a broad road, and there is a narrow road. He could have continued and said there is a broad road in the church, and there is a narrow road in the church. Most, including myself, have struggled for many years to differentiate between the broad way and the narrow way. And in part, that's because of specific words that we choose to give our own meaning to. Let me show you what I mean. 
if you look further in the passage, he will say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. But we have put another word into this passage, and it's a false word. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruits you will know them. Well, why would Jesus say, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, and so on. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You catch it. Most would say, why are they being blocked from the kingdom of heaven? And they would answer, because they never had a relationship with Jesus. Well, that relationship word is a, it's a word that you can twist and turn in a lot of different ways. I have a certain relationship with my wife. A brother came by and we had time to to talk this morning. Well, I have a different relationship with him. I have a, a different relationship with my dry cleaner. I have a different relationship with my mechanic. In other words, everyone can have many different kinds of relationships. And to simply say, well, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. What are you talking about? What would a relationship with Jesus look like? Some people tell me, Jesus is my best buddy. That's one kind of relationship. It's not the kind of relationship you can have with Jesus. That's a humanistic relationship. Notice, enter through the suffering gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So Jesus is saying, look, there is a narrow road that you must find and you must follow. Then there is a broad road 
There is a broad road, and it will be marked by teachers and prophets who will tell you lies. What are those lies? Those lies center around what your relationship with Jesus will look like. You see, he becomes very specific. I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And then he goes on, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. That's the end of his Sermon on the Mount. In other words, people build their relationship with the church and with Jesus. But if it's a false relationship, if it doesn't measure up to Jesus, then when the storm comes, you're going to be washed away. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only those who do the will of Jesus. Now, let me share. I mean, this is such a powerful message that Jesus is giving. He gives another part of it in Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 23, Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must disown, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory, his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Let me try to pull a couple of things together. I got a phone call from a, a man, 40 years old. He's called me a number of times and asked me to pray for him. He's a regular church member. He said, Pastor, would you pray for me? My prostate seems to be blocked. Would you pray? Well, I have prayed for him on several occasions for several different 
medical issues, and he has been immediately healed as I prayed for him. And he went away rejoicing. I've learned, though, that I have to be very careful how I pray for him. I said to him, Yes, I'll pray for you. So I prayed as the Lord led me to pray. And then after the prayer, I said, Let me ask you a couple questions. Yesterday, did you spend time in Scripture and prayer? Did you spend time with Jesus? He said, No, Pastor, I was really busy yesterday. I said, What were you so busy doing? Well, he said, I slept in because I had been up very, very late the night before. So I slept until 12.30 in the afternoon. And then I got up and some friends asked me to go grab some food with them. And so I went and we got some food. Oh, okay. But no scripture and no prayer. No. Well, what did you do with your evening? Well, after I got back from having the time with my friends, uh, I watched TV for the evening. Oh. No scripture, no prayer. Many times I've told him, throw your television out, it will take you to hell. Stop filling your mind with things of this world. But he doesn't heed those warnings. So the next day was Sunday. He was in church because he knows that If he wants Jesus to bless him, he needs to show up. I don't, I don't think that's why Jesus blesses you, but okay, that's his level of understanding. So I said, well, what'd you do in the afternoon, in the afternoon? Well, he said, We had my brother's birthday party, and we had to celebrate. Did you take any time for scripture or prayer? No. But you want me to pray for you. What interest would Jesus have in answering my prayer for you? Well, I'll tell you how it all worked out. This man does what he does so he can, he believes, have God's blessing in his life. But doing things that way to get a blessing in his life, you know, maybe you don't know, you cannot influence Jesus that way. He really doesn't love Jesus. 
He loves his lifestyle. He loves his good food and his friends and the social life. He'll go to work every morning. He's required to. He does a good job. He produces an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. But bottom line, he's a broad road Christian. He's enjoying his life. And when anything happens that begins to infringe on his enjoyment of his lifestyle, oh, pastor, would you pray with me? Pray with me. Well, I don't reject him. I pray for him, and I pray honest prayers. Lord, he wants this from you because he wants to keep his comfortable lifestyle. Would you draw him into yourself? I pray those kind of prayers for him. But what I want to say to you is, we've got to get real clear about what it means to be a Broadway Christian versus a straight road Christian. A straight road Christian will require sacrifice. It will require suffering. It will require denouncing, disowning myself and being given totally over into the hands of Jesus. You see, what's so difficult to even begin to speak with you about is that everybody has their opinions. And of course, their opinion is right. Never mind that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must disown or deny himself and take up his cross daily. This is not a one-time experience. This is an everyday experience. This is a constant. This is a, a situation where I have given myself totally and fully into the hands of Jesus. See, what is it that you love? I hear people say, I want to I love Jesus more. I need a revelation of how to love Jesus more. Oh, really? How about just reading the scriptures, taking them for their word, and doing what they tell you to do? And then you'll be astonished at the way your love for Jesus grows. Gospel is not about a sticky-wicky, sentimental love relationship. The scriptures make very clear that relationship that Jesus wants with me is that of a good soldier who obeys the commanding officer. Where Jesus is first and foremost above everyone and everything. Where he is literally 
what I care about. We spend our time with what and who we love. Do you love Jesus? What does it mean for you to love Jesus? Is that some sentimental choice that you're making? Or is that literally what you love? Now, go with me over here to the book of Luke a little later. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And he turned to them and he said, If anyone comes to me and is not indifferent to his father. In other words, he's saying, look, the literal Greek does not mean bitterness with hatred. It means in consideration of what I do, of where I go, of what I want, of whom I love, Jesus must be first ahead of your father. Mother. Wife. Children. Brothers. Sisters. Yes, even your own life. He cannot be my disciple. Do you hear? It's not complicated. What? are your priorities. Who is your priority? Jesus is saying he must be your priority. He must be your first interest. He must be the person you obey. You want a a relationship with Jesus? Then make him first in your life. It's not complicated. We're so full of complicated theology. No, it's not complicated. Who is it you love? Now, the reason I come talking to you about this is that I've been lied to almost all of my life by theologians, each with their separate philosophies teachers, professors, parents, pastors, people that I trusted. They told me all kinds of crazy things. But in every one of them, there was the escape hatch that would allow me to go to heaven, even in the midst of not making Jesus first. It's not what Jesus said, is it? He says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Well, what's it mean to carry your cross? It's not complicated. It means disown yourself. Get rid of your selfishness. 
You're not the center of the world anymore. Jesus is. You're going to use your the money that Jesus has brought to your hand. He's, you're going to use the time he's brought to your hand to be utterly unselfish, filled with the spirit of Jesus. And you're going to give and serve and honor. You're going to let yourself go. See, we we use words like, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Sounds nice. But what's a relationship look like? According to Jesus, it looks like picking up your cross every day and following him. It looks like disowning yourself and your interests every day and saying, okay, Jesus, I'm following you. Right now, that's a a very difficult task for me because I'm just entering into six weeks of being crippled from a fall with my right leg being useless. I can't put any weight on it, and it's exceptionally painful sometimes. Okay, then picking up my cross means waiting before Jesus for his healing. And then while I'm waiting for Jesus to come and heal me, doing all that I can do to proclaim to you the honest, straight word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No games. Straight up. Take up your cross. Well, my cross right now is extremely painful and hard. Okay. Am I upset about that? No. I'm rejoicing that I can pick up my cross and follow Jesus, totally disowning my own interests. Oh, have you been to a have you been to a doctor yet, Pastor? No, that was my interest. I want Jesus' interest. He told me, wait on me. Wait upon the Lord, is what he said. Okay, if he tells me to wait on him, then obedience, obedience to his command is what taking up my cross means. Well, is it pleasant? No. Waking up in the morning with a a nosebleed? It's not pleasant. No word from Jesus when he'll heal me. Not even the assurance that I'll be healed on this side of the Jordan. I may cross the Jordan. I don't think that's what he means. But it's okay if it is. Do you understand? My life is not my own. I don't have a bucket list. I don't have a vacation I have to go on. Of course, that brings me to what is my greatest sin. I'm going to be straight up. The greatest sin of my life that has caused me unimaginable loss and pain and anguish of heart 
is not obeying the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord to me was, Will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? Yes, Lord. And then deliberately at some point saying, I need this. And it's within my reach. And I have the money. Take it. You desperately need a vacation. I have the money to pay for it. I'm on my way. Horrific. No, I'm not. That attitude of being able to reach out and take what I want, what I think I need, I had the money I needed to buy another car. My car's a little bit rough around the edges. Runs perfectly. I went to the Lord and asked him. He said no. And told me where to send the entire amount of money. Okay. I sent it. But in other instances, I have not done what God told me to do. I have reached out and taken that vacation for myself, or I have reached out and taken whatever it was that I thought I needed without taking time to pray through. A fellow by the name of Bevington. A holiness evangelist from the turn of the century. He'd be invited to go and hold a series of meetings in a specific town or place. He'd say, well, I'm going to have to pray about it first. Now, he didn't mean I'm going to take 10 minutes to pray and then do what I really think I want to do. No, for him, it might mean laying on his face for a week, or two weeks, or three weeks, as long as was necessary for him to get a very clear indication from God about what God wanted him to do. You see, if I'm not in charge of my own life, And who's in charge? God. Jesus. He's in charge. I'm not. Verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build. He's not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider 
whether he is able with ten thousand men to oppose the one coming against him with twenty thousand? If he's not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off, and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up anything he has cannot be my disciple. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's read that verse again. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So let's say it as straight and true as I'm able to say it to you. Jesus is literally saying, if you are unwilling to give up everything you have and put it under the authority and the control of Jesus Christ, then you're a broad road Christian. You're not a narrow road Christian and you won't enter the kingdom of God. That's as straight as it can be put. Now, let me broaden it just a little. If we're talking about the desire of my heart is to love Jesus. The desire of my heart is to know Jesus. Wouldn't it be a great place to start to get to know Jesus? by giving something that you cherish. Wouldn't it be a great place to start by giving him a key part of your lifestyle? Maybe that vacation that you want so much. Maybe a relationship with somebody that you have hopes and desires for, but it's obvious God's not in it. You see, until you begin to give Jesus those secret things of your life that you cherish, that give you a sense of, oh, I'm I'm safe. I've got it together. Until you begin to give those things to Jesus, your love for Jesus will not grow. I listened to a man tell the story of when he was just a young man, how he began to preach, how he began to be involved in in meetings, even in a meeting with David Wilkerson. And the more he gave and the more he did, the more he loved Jesus. The less you give Jesus, the less you will love him. I'm astonished by people who who will come to church and not give one penny to Jesus. And I felt sorry for a, a young woman who who felt I was being unduly hard 
in inviting people to contribute financially, as Jesus called them, for the work of the gospel. I wonder who pays her rent. I wonder who buys her clothes. I wonder if it comes out of the prayer closet as she makes time with Jesus and gives everything into his hand. I wonder if it comes from a job. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So I wonder, what are you giving to Jesus? Now, this morning, check came in the mail. from a dear brother and sister up in Michigan. Port Huron. Now, I want to tell you what I know about them, part of what I know. I know they love Jesus with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. They could have used that large gift, that offering. They could have used that. themselves. But it's not themselves that they love. It's Jesus that they love. But you want to keep everything for yourself and penny pinch Jesus. And then you want to say, oh, I want to love Jesus more. Then give. Give time. Give energy. Give service. Reach out and make a difference in somebody's life. I know the way of the cross. The way of the cross. Self-denial. The way of the cross is to give up self-love. The way of the cross is suffering. The way of the cross is letting go of all selfishness and all self-centeredness. And instead, giving even that which is precious to you to someone else. Remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? Go give all that you have, and then come and follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. And he turned and walked away. Please, today, what I'm trying to say, and maybe I'm not saying it very well, Jesus wants a relationship with you, but he wants a relationship of a soldier who will obey the commands of the commanding officer. He wants a person who has laid it all down on the line. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. 
He has ears. Let him hear. Well, I can tell you how you can get salty again. Give up your treasures in your heart and give them to Jesus. And as you give those things back to Jesus that you have stolen from him, love will begin to well up in your heart for Jesus. Or, just the opposite, you'll say, I'm a fool, why am I giving this? And your heart will grow more and more hard and more and more bitter. I say these things to you not to be difficult with you. Please, I say them because I love you. I say them because I'm in a desperately weakened situation. And I don't know exactly what the future holds for me, but I know who holds it. And I'm going to speak it straight while I have an opportunity. I want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, I come today and I ask, as I, as I do every day, would you shelter, would you shelter my life with your blood, Jesus? Would you shelter my wife and myself and this ministry with the precious blood of Jesus? Lord, would you shelter every person listening right now to this broadcast would you shelter them with the precious blood of Jesus? Oh, Lord, you are the one we love. There's no hope without you, Jesus. You are my hope. You are my future. You are the one who is carrying me so lovingly in your arms, and I praise you and worship you and honor you. And Lord, today there are other men and women who are sick, who are utterly discouraged and saying, how can I keep going? So I said to my wife, how long can we live like this? She said, as long as Jesus asks us to. How long can you live with the, with the hurt and pain in your body? As long as Jesus asks you to. Let the pain accomplish its purpose. Lord, thank you for your discipline in my life. Forgive me for those times when I have just in arrogance, in stupid, dumb arrogance, reached out and done and grabbed what I thought I needed and wanted. Lord, forgive me. One time it was a car. And then, Lord, for seven years afterward, you beat me every month with that car bill. Other times, Lord, it's been an advantage that I've seen where if I reached out and take this advantage, my life will be much happier. 
and it was catastrophic loss. Lord, I just come today praying for those dear brothers and sisters who are in anguish of heart and they don't know which way to turn and no no cheap words will suffice to comfort their heart. Lord, the only word that has comforted my heart, give everything to Jesus. Let him have full sway. Do what he wants you to do. Don't try to take for yourself. Don't try to protect yourself. Don't try to defend yourself. Just put it all in Jesus' hands. And Lord, I've heard it so many times, and it's so true, but it's also cheap and trite. Oh, it'll all work out. How will it work out? Lord, I want whatever happens in my life to work out for your honor and your glory. Cause praise to be lifted up for the name of Jesus. So, Lord, I'm praying today for healing in my brothers and sisters. Healing in their mind. Healing in their bodies. Healings in their marriage. Healing with their children who've utterly denied and cut them off. Lord, I pray today for healing in the life of every person listening to this broadcast, that they would not be rebellious against you, that they would lift up their hands in praise and honor and glory to your name, Jesus. Oh, Lord. And I want to say thank you for my dear brother and sister whom I've never met up in Port Huron. Thank you for the others. I pray in your name. Amen. I've been trying to write some thank you notes. My hand has been very shaky. I don't have the computer connected properly to my printer that is upstairs. My staff moved the broadcast center to the downstairs because I can't climb the stairs. Please, I want you to know how much I love you and appreciate what you do for the gospel of Jesus, not for me. I don't ask for me, but for the gospel work of Jesus. And I want you to walk clean before Jesus. The true way to get more love with Jesus is to spend more time repenting of your sins and crying out to him, even letting your tears flow. Seek the face of Jesus. He's everything. <laughs> He's everything. You can write to me. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also send your offering directly to the church. Ray Greenley, 5009, Softwood Lane, 
Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Oh, Lord, as we close this broadcast today, peace fills my heart. Joy fills my spirit because you are a God who cares and who loves. You are a God who is so compassionate and filled with forgiveness. You bind up our wounds. You bring healing to our bodies and to our minds and to our spirits. Lord, I pray for each person who has been with this broadcast today and with me and with you, Jesus. You see what the needs are. Lord, touch them now. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.